Hello, everybody. Before we start today, I just have a small um, sad piece of news, which some of you may know already, but our lovely cat Vin, who you will have heard squeaking in the background in many an episode, sadly passed away earlier this summer. So when you, you might have heard us talking to him in the last episode that we broadcast, but that was actually recorded a while back. So I just wanted to tell you, loyal listeners, that little Vin is no longer with us. He was a very old cat of 18 years and he had a number of health problems and in the end they just got the better of him. So there we are. But um, we do have very recently who's come to live with us a new a new cat friend called Sullivan. At the moment, he's a bit nervous and scared of everything. So I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure he's going to join us on the podcast in the same way that Vin did. Anyway, that is a, a sad piece of news, but we will move on from it now. So without further ado, welcome to Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Happy Halloween. We've got a Halloween special for you today. I'm joined by Chris. Hello. The old faithful Chris. <laughs> what a terrible way to describe you, I'm sorry. Makes me sound like a geezer. <laughs> I mean, a geezer as in like old faithful, as in like spurting from the ground, not like a, a geezer as in somebody from a Guy Ritchie film. You're neither of those things, I'd say. <laughs> neither is an adequate description of you. So we have got a kind of Halloween-y, a bit of a spooky story for you today. It's our... Oh, oh, oh just today? Just today. <laughs> That's true. Really, a Halloween episode for this podcast should be something very mundane. Oh, like a, a scary, like a someone was saying the other day about rom-coms. And right. I said to me, a rom-com is, is, is worse than any horror. Well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> A rom-com is, to me, a horrific version of the world, whereas I'm very happy to watch horror films for hours on end. It's our second Halloween podcast because by the time this comes out, we'll have also done a live event at the Museum of Cambridge, mm. which is also vaguely Halloween-y, and that will get that edited up and out as a podcast episode in the near future. Will we not, Chris? Yeah, sure. We'll Chris, do that together. Chris, Chris will, do, will do it. Okay. Well, hello. Oh, hello. I tried to get a sort of vaguely Halloween-y themed drink, but because it was a bit of a last minute effort, what happened was I found a bottle of red wine from 19 Crimes and the bottle of red wine has a glow-in-the-dark skeleton on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's exciting, isn't it? Presumably that's a seasonal special. I think it must be. I think it must be. Because normally, I think we've had one before a while ago in 18 Crimes um, and they have... 19 crimes. You've minimised their crimes. I've I've lost one crime somewhere. Maybe one of the crimes was something that's no longer illegal. Right. Like um, coveting oxen. (laughs) Well, that's a commandment, isn't it, rather than a crime? Maybe maybe it was a crime of bewitchment, which would be appropriate for us today. Anyway, and they have something with the magic of the internet, and there's pictures of convicts on that were deported transported to Australia mm. and it tells you they tell you, you their story can look at their face with your phone and it tells you the story is that right 
Well, I believe so. I think if you listen to the Halloween episode on Ghosts of uh, oh, yes. Cambridge with uh, we had it then. Justin Crane, I think he uh, brings 19 crimes so it's, and it's talking past to the party. It's become a Halloween a Halloween tradition then. Yeah, it seems that way. Oh, okay, we should excellent. Get sponsorship. We should. 19 crimes, come on. <laughs> Tag them. <laughs> I'll bring out my own rival wine. It's called 18 crimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try it now. Oh, it's bold. Cool. Oh, it's quite... Um, There's quite an afters on it, isn't there? I tell you what, this would probably have benefited from just being allowed to breathe just for a little while before it, rather than immediately opened and poured. We never let our wines breathe. Well, the problem is that we're not really very used to buying wine Fancy that's wine. any more expensive than about seven quid from the corner shop. I and also, say. I don't think that's true. I do buy some nice wines okay, these days. sorry. Um, also, I don't I've think we're... I've you with my brush. We're not particularly organised in right. that we might not necessarily always think of opening the wine in advance. Anyway... I think that's going to mellow out a bit. I think that's nice fruity. I didn't even look what kind it is. I just saw the glow-in-the-dark skeleton. <laughs> I can't tell you anything about the grape. That reminds me of my friend Stuart, who, when we were at university, once made a choice of a bottle of wine to bring to a nice lunch that we were doing on the basis of the label on the front using the same font as Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins. That's good enough. Good enough reason as any, isn't it? I, I mean, the classic is just, is there a picture of, like, an amusing animal? <laughs> Yes, in which case the wine's coming home. <laughs> Quite often there is. Font is good as well, I think. I would definitely not buy a wine if it had Comic Sans on it. <laughs> Nobody's making a wine with Comic Sans on it. Comic Sans, the font of school notice boards. <laughs> it could be an ironic wine. <laughs> mm, I suppose so. Marketed at children. They'd say it wasn't, like in the days of Alco Pops. Right, yeah, yeah. They'd yeah. pretend they weren't marketing at children, but we'd all know that they were. Anyway. Strange goings-on at Scrap Faggot Green. That's our story today. <laughs> okay, brill. Just quickly, here's some sources. Yep. The Ghosts of East Anglia book by H. Mills West, oh, yeah. which I think we've dipped into before. A Folklore Thursday article by Willow Winsham, uh-huh. who is also the author of Accused British Witches Throughout History. It's got an exclamation mark. That's why I did that voice. After, after the accused. Accused. Presumably. And also some news reports from the time. Oh, yes. Which is always quite fun to find. This story was actually suggested a while back by Kate Fleet. Hello, Kate. I know it was months and months and months ago that you suggested we could look at this, but I finally got round to it. I have a little list and I gradually work my way through everything. So thank you for the suggestion. It's a fun story. And it takes place in October as well, or at least sort of some of the events take place in October. So it's quite appropriate (laughs) for this time of year. The place... Well, you've told me already. No, I haven't. You told me it was Scrap Faggot Green. You don't know where that is. <laughs> okay. It's in the Essex village of Great Lees. Okay. Great Lees is situated in between Braintree and Chelmsford. Oh, yeah. It's kind of slap bang in the middle of Essex. Classic basically. Essex. This story is going to take us through history a bit, a little bit of back and forth, but we will start in October 1944. Lovely. There's a war on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Remember that there's a war on okay. because that will play a part in our story. Something of a media sensation began to brew around the Essex village of Great Lees. What constitutes a media sensation in 1944? Maybe using the word, the words, it might be a slight exaggeration. However, there did seem to be quite a lot of media buzz. Right. They wouldn't have called it buzz in those days. When do you think the word buzz started getting used? Mm, I don't know. The 60s? Yeah, it sounds a bit kind of 60s, 70s, doesn't it? Dull my buzz man or something. (laughs) Buzz Aldrin, of course. Maybe he, uh, <laughs> Maybe he, he uh, popularised it. Yeah. it. 
The irony for Buzz Aldrin is that he wasn't the person that anyone was buzzing about. <laughs> well, he was secondary Buzz Man, wasn't he? <laughs> it's the man left on the ship no one remembers. Yeah, I can't tell you his name. So there was at least a little bit of a media buzz around the village of Great Lees because some strange events began to happen. I wouldn't have expected anything less. These articles about the strange events appeared in a variety of papers, including the Sunday Pictorial which later became the Sunday Mirror. Oh, right. They went from holding up a picture of the world to holding up a mirror to the world. I'm sorry. I was You've trying done a to funny be, thing. I was trying to be clever. It, was, it hasn't worked. <laughs> Did you write that in advance? No, no I said it now. It was fair of the I moment. didn't write that That's in advance. That's And also the Daily News of London. Oh, yeah. What and did that become? I don't. I just think it went away. Right. And then also, I found a thing from Time Magazine as oh, well. Oh, Time Magazine. Um, so it went a little bit international. Yeah. Well, that's well. quite a lot international. Yeah. So here's. You have here's to say Time Magazine. Time Magazine. <laughs> the cover of Time Magazine. <laughs> You'd think they'd emphasise the title of the magazine. Time Magazine. Yeah, exactly. Here's a small article from October the tenth, nineteen forty-four, in the Daily News. Strange goings on at Great Lees. The short piece declares such oddities taking place as chickens disappearing overnight, (laughs) haystacks toppling over, even though there hadn't been a wind, also the church bell tolling at strange times in the night. Oh, well, that's a good one. I was going to say, otherwise, it's quite parochial, isn't it? And early morning, the bell was tolling. The church clock kept losing time each day for no discernible reason. I'm sure there can be no practical explanation for that. (laughs) Further reports are along similar lines, Mm -hmm. but also add further inexplicable events, such as tools being found scattered around, scaffolding torn down overnight, and the somewhat cryptic nocturnal accidents to livestock. Wasn't one of those uh, one of those horse slicers? Was it? No, not a horse. I'm sure if it was a horse slicer, they would have been more specific about what happened. Nocturnal accidents to livestock. Yeah. So the livestock themselves aren't having the accident. It's not like a sheep's gone down a hole. Well, is it? I guess it could be. It's, as I say, <laughs> the, the it's look cryptic. Your eyes suggests something I along those lines. I feel is like a sheep could have gone down a hole. <laughs> so some strange goings on, anyway. Mm. And there were further disturbances at a local pub. This local pub stands near to Scrapfaggot Green. The pub was called at the time Saint Anne's Castle. Um, it's still open now. It closed for a while in 2015 for refurbishments, but it's now open under the new name simply of the castle. Right. And this pub, St. Anne's Castle, there are some claims that it's the oldest inn in England. Oh, really? I bet there's a lot of claims to that. I bet there are. We do know it is mentioned in the Doomsday Book, which was 1086. That's fun. Which is pretty bloody old. Pretty bloody old, old yeah. So they're coming up for their thousand-year anniversary. Wow. Well, you know, 50 years' time. But still... <laughs> yeah, in the, in the scale of things. If they've got this far, they can make it to a thousand years. Oh, I don't know. The pub trade's in a bad way. Come on, they've got to cling on. <laughs> Everyone, start going. We have to help them get to a thousand years. And there's apparently also the cellars of the pub have got tunnels, or the remains of tunnels, and the tunnels, again, reportedly used to lead to the church in the village. And right. also there's an abbey... I was, I was literally just going to say... Or a priory, sorry. What was it? Was it a priory? Yeah, a All priory. these tunnels are always going to priories, <laughs> aren't they? Lee's Priory. So it's a pub that's been there for ages. So it, even before 1944, when these strange goings on happened, the pub already had a very long history. It had apparently served as a site for... They weren't pilgrimaging to the pub, but on their way to other places, <laughs> yeah, a, pilgrims a, a would kind of stop point. off. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
So it was here that the local legend of strange goings-on goes from oddities and disturbances around the village to talk of a ghost Mm. apparently haunting the pub in particular. Well, I mean, if that pub has been there for a thousand years, I think if there's ever going to be a ghost anywhere, that seems to be a pretty good candidate. You're surprised there's only one. (laughs) Pilgrims galore. Monks that have crawled through those tunnels. Too drunk, passed out. Yep. Expired in a a tunnel. Horrible. One of the guest bedrooms of the inn seemed particularly fraught with problems. Mm. H. Mills West says, The ghost was particularly noisy and unsympathetic to any who might believe that a bedroom should be a place of peace and repose. Here are some things that went on in the guest bedroom. A carton of light bulbs that had been placed next to the bed were found dispersed all around the room. (laughs) But the room had been locked. Light bulbs, Chris. All over. Why why were the light bulbs in the guest bedroom? (laughs) Oh, you might have just put them down. Later, you intend to change some bulbs. You can tell it's the story of the 20th century because we don't often have talk of light bulbs, do we? <laughs> in our In our stories. Furniture was found moved about. Right. Objects that were left in the room either went missing or would be discovered smashed. Whilst the room was locked and empty, scuffling footsteps and other noises of movement and rustling could be heard from the pub below. Scuttling. I mean, I've lived in a house that's had rats. <laughs> gonna say have you where did you live with well i assume rats in finsbury park no that was mice that was mice you could see whatever i could hear scuttling around in the cavity between the floors at night sounded much bigger than mice really i would say almost kind of cat-sized giant rats you're saying lived in your house i think i think in the walls yeah could it be the urban foxes the urban foxes wouldn't have got into the gap between the ground floor and the uh but there were a lot weren't there yeah 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 yeah. the urban foxes of frinsbury park that we used to see when chris lived there were quite scrawny looking weren't they oh sure yeah i mean they were like they've been eating the leftover fried chicken from the pavement whereas we have um there's some foxes that live near us now in cambridge (laughs) and they are sleek and glossy in our bucolic uh wonderland in the suburbs and they just look, they look lovely. Yeah, well, they're probably eating livestock, aren't They're they? probably eating rabbits. Yeah. There's a lot of rabbits around. Anyway, back to the room. Yeah, sorry. I'm alarmed rats. at this. It's got rats the size of cats in your walls. Now, this is very specific. A wardrobe that stood in the room was on several occasions found in the morning to be dismantled into several pieces. <laughs> <laughs> and again, the room was locked because they mainly kept it locked because of these problems. Was it originally flat pack? <laughs> Well, it said it was dismantled into three pieces. Right. And then it said that this happened several times. And then I thought, just why are you rebuilding the wardrobe every time? Well, maybe it served a practical purpose. I don't know. At one point, you just say, oh, I'm giving up now. The ghost obviously doesn't yeah. like this wardrobe. Well, what would have know. happened if the wardrobe had been reassembled in a different room? That's a very good question. And if they had had an inquiring mind... They might have tried it, might they? They should have tried that, yeah. yeah. So all of this suggested some sort of ghostly or indeed poltergeist activity. Mm, I was going to say poltergeist, isn't it? Yeah. Classic. Smashing. Actually interacting with uh, exactly. objects and... Like, Not just appearing and drifting around, yes. but actually kind Going of woo. moving things and smashing stuff about. The room was usually kept locked, mm-hmm. but we shouldn't be surprised to hear that sometimes commercial necessity overruled the fear of the scrap faggot ghost. If the inn was particularly full, yeah. they were like, "Well, we do. We're going to have to let the ghost room. We do need. We do need the money from the ghost room, and we, you know, we've got people that want to stay. So sometimes they did open it up. I mean, I think probably you could have almost used that as a marketing tool, couldn't you? Come I, and stay in the haunted so. space. I would say so, Chris. According to the legend, 
people who stayed in the room had a very hair-raising time. One man reported being unable to sleep as noises of rustling and scraping kept him awake all night. I mean, I'm just going to refer you again to the rats in the ceiling. (laughs) Another young woman, you can't blame this on rats, had an even worse time. She woke in the night with a feeling of dread and peered into the darkness. She saw a misty moving shape circling around the bed. She quickly snapped on the light, but nothing was there, or at least nothing that was visible under the harsh glare of the lights. Yes, yeah, so electric lights. It's a it's a novelty, isn't it? To in, have electric in tales, lights in yeah. our story, I know. To Normally it would be a, a candle. No fumbling for matches. It's true. So she saw a misty shape. Mm. Very alarming. Roving reporters descended on the village as the story was picked up by different news outlets. They were all keen to get their own accounts of the odd goings on. And as I say, there's even a report in Time magazine from Mm. October 23rd. Oh, okay. So really actually contemporary with the events. Sure. Sure, people... Where had uh, Time Magazine picked it up from? Well, just from I the suppose, local press? Well, the, the press, the stories were not just confined to Essex. So no. local papers, right. but then London papers picked it up. I see. Someone must have, you know, alerted Time Magazine. <laughs> I don't know. And they have a report that tells of the goings-on in the pub. They tell of the landlord, Alfred Sykes, pulling pint after pint for visiting reporters and telling them all about the mysterious happenings. That's interesting, isn't it? No doubt very happy as he charged all the new visitors yes. for, his, uh, for their drinks. Here's some words from Landlord Sykes in time. Last night, the church clock turned two hours slow, which never happened before. Then there was old Chipping's rabbits. One of them ain't this witchcraft... He found setting on eggs in his chicken coop. And Mrs Warren's books. There's a respectable widow woman for you and a friend of mine. All her books changed jackets one night. <laughs> How do you explain that, young fellow, my lads? What a tedious ghost. <laughs> I, know, I know what will really put the wind up on. Let me go and change the jackets on their books. That would drive you mad. I'd hate it. I mean, I'd know immediately they're out of place. Well, but, huh, would you change the jackets but put the books so the jackets would look correct? Hmm. Chris's books, by the way, are in alphabetical order. We might have discussed this before. My books are not in alphabetical order. So initially you wouldn't know anything was wrong. And months later... It would be reliant on all of your books being the same width, though, wouldn't it? I'm thinking you can't take a jacket from a thin book and put it on a fat book. You could change the jackets on your Terry Pratchett books. Because they're all basically basically the the same. same. You, the thing with Are those, you suggesting Terry Pratchett was writing to a formula? You wouldn't even know, probably. You'd get like 50 pages in and yeah, you'd be like, oh, hang right. on, this isn't Thief I've of Time. This one. <laughs> <laughs> Some Terry Pratchett esoteria for you. And I think it is spooky to think of finding a rabbit sitting on some chicken's eggs. That is, yeah, I grant you that. But so, quite happy, was it? I don't know. I don't know, Chris. So that was Alfred Sykes. Bob Reynolds, landlord of Rival Pub, The Dog and Gun. Right. Did they all suddenly start having some hauntings as well? No, quite the opposite. He expressed scepticism of the claims. <laughs> but then he awoke one morning to find a large boulder outside his pub door. <laughs> That's what happens when you pour scorn on the idea of the ghosts. Exactly. They'll turn up in the middle of the night and boulder you. It was like an exciting time in the village in a way. Mm. There were lots of reporters from here and there coming in, drinking in the pubs, talking yeah. to the locals, Bolstering finding out the, local the stories. Economy. Exactly. To what did the locals attribute these mysteries? Apparently some American airmen were to blame. 
Hijinks. And also a historical witch. Oh, okay. Let me explain. Uh, together or independently of each other? Uh, one had acted as a catalyst for the other. Did the American airmen try and do a seance? No. Oh, I just imagined them, you know... Something much more boring. Drunk. Shall we resurrect the I bones of this I don't historical... Think, no. I don't think American airmen have truck with seances. I can, I can see it. I I've got. I've, I'm, I feel like I'm almost writing a horror film in my head now. Okay. Yeah. My nana, who died last year at the age of 100 says that the war years were the best of her life because she was just dancing with American airmen all the time. Just dancing with them? Just dancing with those airmen. She said she had a great time. I bet she did. And they brought um, treats, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Stockings. Chocolate. Yeah. All the good stuff. lovely American treats. No more dipping your feet in gravy and drawing a (laughs) line down it to try and pretend you're wearing stockings. (laughs) American airmen will bring you one. I think it was tea, no? <laughs> tea? I don't know. Tea? Gravy? What does same. it matter? Brown liquid. So the American airmen, I'll explain how they were to blame. Near to the village of Great Lees, a new military base was to be established. Mm-hmm. A lot of them in East Anglia, aren't there? And this was Boreham Airfield, right. which you might have heard of. Boreham Yes. Yes. I think so. The construction of the airbase required some work to be done around Great Lees, including the widening of a road that right. passed through the village. Right. Near, I think, to Scrapfagot Green. A bulldozer was, was brought in to do the job. But in the process of widening the road, they knocked over a large stone which had stood at the centre of a crossroads on the path. Ooh. This stone, the locals said, had stood there for over 200 years. And when the stone was moved, all the trouble in the village and at the pub began. The stone was also known locally as the Witch's Stone. Uh. Is what it like, do you think um, now? Psychomania, where at some point in the past, you know, the witch has been turned into this stone. And now... No, but that would be fun. <laughs> um, the Psychomania is a is it seventies? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, very much. In fact, I feel I could recommend it as a film. Yeah. if if you haven't seen it. There's like a zombie biker gang. Yeah, it's like the intersection of occult biker gangs and zombie films, isn't it? Yeah, and there's some yeah people get turned into stones or get turned from being stones into people. One or, or the other. Both ways. <laughs> First one, then the other. It's quite fun. I feel like the soundtrack is probably significant in some way as well. <laughs> I don't know. So you, your thoughts are now that this well, is... Well, okay. did the stone mark the place of burial of this historic witch? Exactly that, right, Chris. Yeah. Exactly that. And that brings us to the story of Anne Hughes. Are we going back in time? That's the noise of going back in time. Quite dramatic. Or it could go whoosh. Yeah. What would be the noise of going forward in time? <laughs> Okay, well, I'm glad we're going back then. Going forward sounds terrible. The story of Anne Hughes. Which? (laughs) I'm implicating a question mark. I understand. Anne Hughes was a local widow of Great Lees, who was, in the early 1600s, found to be guilty of witchcraft. So the story goes. The accusations were that in the year 1615, Anne Hughes has bewitched a man named John Archer. Archer was taken ill, languished for around a year... And then perished. Went into a decline. That was a long decline. Perished. She was further accused of bewitching two others called Thomas Mead and Margaret Bright. These two others became very ill and weak, but ultimately survived. Hmm. At the time of the trial, they were wasted and consumed. Right, so nobody basically had any high hopes of them. No. The last charge against Anne was another classic of the bewitching genre, that she had ensorcelled a cow belonging to a neighbour. Yeah, once the livestock exactly, starts to bite Exactly, that's when it. you're really in trouble, isn't it? And this story 
also gives a clue to the unusual name of Scrap Faggot Green, potentially. So there's an Atlas Obscura piece about the Scrap Faggot Green story. What is Atlas Obscura? Oh, it's it's a website and it's quite fun and they have... Not always spooky, but stories about places from all over the world. Mm. And they're just quite short articles, but they're like interesting things that happen all over the world, basically. So here's a fun festival that takes place in Thailand. Here's a temple that was built in Cambodia that has such and such history. Here's a cheese rolling event in it. You know, they do. It's just lots of loads of different things. It's quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be quite an interesting read. What they say is that the name Scratch Faggot. Mm -hmm was an old East Anglian term for witch. Okay. Is that because isn't the uh, devil is sometimes referred to as old scratch, isn't he? Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. But yes, that would make sense. And so scrap faggot is a corruption of that, of scratch faggot, effectively meaning witch is green. I've not heard that before, scratch faggot. So I thought, can I find some corroborating evidence? And I didn't exactly find it, but I think you're right. Scratch is old scratch. So that would make sense. And I also found a really interesting article on the Pitt Rivers Museum website. The Pitt Rivers Museum is in Oxford. It's kind of at the back. You go through the Natural History Museum and then in the back is this crazy old Pitt Rivers, which is sort of anthropology. Mm. So it's artefacts and things that were collected from all over the world, probably by nefarious means. I was going to say, when you say often. collected... <laughs> um, very famously, they used to have shrunken heads, mm, right. a shrunken head display, but a few years ago they took that off because it, there's a lot of ethical questions yeah. around displaying human remains. Sure, especially heads. Yeah, it's obviously a question that a lot of museums are facing, is how do we these historical artefacts that were collected and, and the meanings for the people that made them are very different to the meanings we might ascribe to them. And yeah. lo- there's loads of questions around it. So so they have now, the cabinet where the heads used to be, rather than just putting something else there, they've made that into a kind of informative thing about here's, here's why we've taken these down. And I Which thought they'd done it really well. I was going to say, some would say is absolutely the correct way to I go agree. about these so, things. So they've, they've given information about it and, yeah. and they're quite good at highlighting the problematic aspects of their collections. Anyhow... It's a good place to visit. It's got lots of interesting things. There was an exhibition at the Pitt Rivers in 2022 called Beyond the Binary. Mm-hmm. And that was exploring connections between the ways the ways that outsider groups have been kind of othered, yeah. persecuted, right. oppressed. And this is really interesting. They draw some interesting parallels between terminology used historically to describe witches mm. and terminology that has grown up to describe LGBTQ communities. Particularly derogatory language. I was going to say, is this faggot, essentially? Yeah, so in particular, this article makes the argument that derogatory terminology that's used to describe gay men in British culture Mm. evolved from some of the language used to denigrate the women and men who were persecuted as witches. Oh, okay. So another example that they give is fairy, which obviously has associations with magic and witches and also to the point here the word faggot which is now of course a horrible homophobic slur but describe the bundles of sticks that were used to burn witches Uh, in the days that witches were persecuted in britain and beyond in europe and in the states that's a definition that has existed that must be a definition that's existed before anyone was burning witches with bunches of sticks right sure so so the the word initially was used in this stick the stick context of the right. word. And then because it became associated with 
outsider figures, persecuted women who were persecuted as witches, then that carried through culture of the term. And I think that makes sense if the term scrap faggot was used to describe witches, that that then stuck, kind of stuck in culture as being like a derogatory and and in a negative way, like it had negative connotations. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. Nothing um, to do with lumps of meat in sauce in cans. No, that's or, a whole uh, different situation. Or Italian bassoons. And as far as I can tell, I don't think Scrap Faggot Green is called by that name anymore. Right, right. So, yeah, so that's, I think that's really interesting. And that gives a hint to the quite unusual name mm. Scrap Faggot Green, potentially in kind of local history. So if the story is to be believed as well, of course, Anne also gave her name to the pub, oh, St. Okay. Anne's Castle, right. possibly. St. Anne? Well, there's, maybe not, but you, there's, is this, there's is obviously this them, the whole classic thing of, myths and stories being appropriated through the ages to whatever is the uh, the most pertinent. Things just get that we see in folklore over and over and in these local stories, things get like smashed together, don't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you end up with names that were maybe one thing that become a different yeah. thing and, and they get squidged with other stories and you end up with, like with Tom Hickathrift, we saw it, that you get stories that are told about the same characters that once were maybe different characters yeah, that yeah. become one and it all just kind of gets into a big pot of yeah. local lore. Yeah, which is ascribed to whatever is uh, yeah. current in people's minds. It was like, I think I maybe mentioned this last time we were talking about that book you bought me, Cloven Country, which mm. is about how the features of the English landscape take on names associated with the devil. But most of those all uh, were derived around a similar period in history and previously mm. had referred to things like, yeah, otherwise fairies or giants yeah. or, you know, yeah. previous beliefs and uh, yeah. similar it's very Foucauldian, this idea Ooh. that, um, oh, but a Foucault, uh, <laughs> the idea that the way language works, maybe at one point in time, witches are the thing that everyone hates, but then the same language is used later in time mm-hmm. for a different group of outsiders, mm-hmm. or as you say, with the features of the landscape in old folklore, that would have been giants, but at some point, religious fervor yeah, hits yeah. the country yep. and a, a kind of early satanic panic grips the nation <laughs> and, and at that point the devil becomes the outsider so language changes in a way that it's still an outsider or it's still a something to do with uh, the unknown or something a bit scary and it gets appropriated to whoever the like latest boogeyman is yeah, basically yeah. Yeah. bogeyman you're not american <laughs> the boogeyman Back to Anne Hughes then. Local legend has it that Anne's fate was a terrible one. Burned. Yeah. Burned at the stake. And then her remains were buried at the crossroads. We've heard before about why crossroads yep. are significant. The spirit gets confused, apparently. Yep. Um, and I think that's what the uh, Blazing Squad song was about, wasn't it? <laughs> they were so confused. And the large boulder or witch stone was placed at the spot to keep the spirit inside. Some of the folk of Great Lees were only too keen to tell reporters the legend of Anne the Witch and how the disturbance of her stone by the American airmen had caused her spirit to rise, causing all this trouble. Yeah, makes actually makes a lot of sense. You find it a logical story. (laughs) And it's, you know, there's a war on. They want something... Right, to distract themselves from all of the horrible things that are happening in real life. Exactly. Well, you know... It's not fun to think of a woman being burned as a witch, but it's uh, interesting. It's something more intriguing than just, oh, no, here's another report about millions of people being killed in the war. A um, I can I can see why it caught the imagination yeah. of people at the yeah. time. Not to mention all the pubs that were uh, <laughs> raking, in. In the, uh, raking in the money as Room people visited. for the visited. night, is it? So. <laughs> Who should enter the picture now but our old favourite, Harry Price? <laughs> 
He's never too far from this sort of business. No, is not he? in this era. So in 1944, Harry Price was in his 60s. Yeah. Do you know when he died? No, I don't know. So Harry Price actually died just a few years later. He died in 1948. Right. So he at this point was only a few years from death, although he himself didn't know it. Oh, you wouldn't, would you? Well, sometimes you do if you're ill. But Harry Price <laughs> apparently died of a massive and unexpected heart attack. Well, I think he was quite a large man. Well, so you're saying not that unexpected. Well, no, I'm just, you know, <laughs> suggesting reasons for it. Yes. Well, from, from what we've learned of Harry Price in previous researches, he quite liked the finer things in life, didn't he? <laughs> I think, you know, he was on the wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on the 19 crimes. All those, all those dinners with the rector at Bawley Rectory. Yeah, just... If I was Harry Price, I would have taken every invitation I got. So I imagine he was being invited to a lot of like yeah. posh Please ladies come to my having dinners. House. Exactly. Oh, come and regale us with stories of your supernatural investigations, yeah. Harry or Price. Here's a whole we've chicken. Got a thing going on. Yeah. Come and investigate this thing while you're here. Oh, I've got the supper on. Lots of wine, creamy sauces. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Fine desserts. So Harry Price Although, didn't know it, but... wartime. You thinking Harry Price is... Uh, I know, He's but... built up a kind of stockpile. He's immune to the but effects wartime, of rationing. But wartime, but he had the whole of the 30s. To be fulfilling his but desire had, to eat as much rich food. He had the 20s and 30s to be yeah. giving off his reputation, yeah. going to all these do's. I'm just imagining Harry Price's life. Doesn't seem that bad I to me. I think by this time the gout is fully set in. <laughs> Maybe. And Price writes a little bit about the scrap faggot case in his book, Poltergeist Over England, Three <laughs> Centuries of Mischievous Ghosts. Is, um, that, is that still in print? I don't know. So Harry Price was brought in, or mm-hmm. did he, you know... Uh, he inserted himself inserted into the himself situation. Into the story. Yeah. Here's some fun words from the short Time magazine piece about Price's arrival. Yeah. The professor puttered around the violated grave, diagnosed the mischief maker as a poltergeist at large, right. whose headstone must be restored exactly as before. He warned, its orientation north to south must be precise. Oh, okay. Why's that? Just, he's saying it should be exactly the same as it was. I just wondered if it was like churches, you know, always being oriented east-west. I think it's just that that's how it was. Right. I think Harry Price came in. Yeah. Well, what he says, actually. Harry Price says he went in. The locals were all like, oh, no, all this bad shit's happening. What can we do, Harry Price? You know everything about this kind of thing. Please tell us, Harry Price, what can we do? And so Harry Price said, I just told them. Right, here's a practical solution. Here's a solution. What we need to do is restore the stone exactly how it was and all your problems will be solved. It does seem likely that the villagers could have come to that conclusion themselves, doesn't it? I think the villagers are not the... uh, I don't think they're the patsies in this story. (laughs) (laughs) You think Time Magazine is the passing? I think the villagers knew exactly what they were doing by uh, (laughs) telling everybody these exciting tales. So the stone was returned to its spot. In some versions of the story that I've read, it says that when the stone was moved, Mm. some sort of bones and bits of remains were found in the hole. Yeah. So and this so there's lots of different versions basically of the story, but in some versions they found these these bits of bones, and they were then. Buried in the village churchyard. Oh, okay. And the stone was replaced exactly as before. So is that in a way of absolving Anne? Absolving or I suppose just consecrating the remains in such a way. Because do you remember But is that a good thing? Is that what she would have wanted? Do you remember when we did the skeleton horse pond story? Yeah. Which was the Goldstone Bogies week. And they did the same thing then. That The story was that they had found this skeleton at the bottom of a pond that had a millstone round it. Yeah, yeah. And they buried the skeleton in the churchyard and that kind of set the spirit to rest Mm. as such. So it's, again, it's kind of like none of its new ideas. No. (laughs) 
we see the same stories over and over because the folklore builds up around these themes. I mean, it's a fairly well-trodden thing, isn't it? The idea of the restless spirit and all you have to do is put the bones in the right place, lay them back yeah. as they were and everything will be all right. At what point into the modern era has that ceased? Because I don't feel uh, like it's something you hear a lot about now, is it? No, now ghosts are on the internet. Right, right. <laughs> so how do you, I don't know. Yes, I don't know. That's interesting. What would be a more... Because I think 1944 is quite recent. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly in the era of, you know, rational thought, yeah. isn't it? But I suppose it's still, like you say, I suppose wartime, you're kind of harking back to things that are familiar to you or mm. comforting in a way. We were talking earlier on about Arthur Conan Doyle and the Cottingley fairies, which was the photographs that these the little girls took saying that the fairies were at the bottom of the garden. Which, let's be honest, very clearly cardboard cutouts. Well, to our eyes now. <laughs> but Conan Doyle was so interested in spiritualism because partly he'd lost people mm, yeah. himself yeah. in the war, the, the, first, the, first, the world first World War. war yeah. And that's when there was a huge rise in spiritualism because people were basically wanted to believe that yeah, there yeah. could be something after yeah. all these people that they died. And, and he, Conan Doyle saw it as a, he thought that people that were debunking this, working so hard to debunk it, were kind of denying a comfort mm to the people that needed to almost believe that this was a real thing, that, that there could be a kind of a peace and a something better for people who died. And maybe it's the same sort of idea. It's, you know, in that, those times of strife. Yeah, you, you, return, you return to the old tales. We'd think in this tumult of the last five years <laughs> of politics in this country, it. we'd want to be all bloody believing in something better. The stone was returned. The strange goings on. Basically stopped. Oh, yeah. The reporters drifted away. The pub went out of business. <laughs> the pub is going strong! So, was it really the restless ghost of Anne Hughes, 17th century witch, that caused all these problems? Could it have been a different spirit? <laughs> what? Or perhaps the whole thing was a hoax by some bored or enterprising villagers hoping to bring some excitement and commerce to their little spot of Essex. And as we've said, was it just a fun distraction? from all the horrible wartime goings on. Willow Winsham talks about Anne Hughes in her article, Poltergeist, Witchcraft or Hoax. Mm, that seems to lay up It options. lays the options, yeah. doesn't it? And she talks about Anne Hughes. As we've said, local legend, Anne Hughes found guilty of a witch, mm. burned to death, buried under the stone at the crossroads. Can you see a flaw in the tale? Can I see a flaw in the tale? Attentive listeners, attentive listeners, Chris, will remember from our episodes about Matthew Hopkins' Witchfinder General, that it was actually incredibly unusual... Oh, for witches to be burned. For witches to be burned. So yeah. so in England, it was really, really rare right. for people found guilty of witchcraft to be burned. I'm um, afraid I took you at your word. <laughs> Very if you foolish. are telling me that a witch was burned, <laughs> then I will believe it. Witches were burned in Scotland, right. and witches were burned in Mainland places Europe. like Germany. Yeah. But in this country, it was incredibly unusual. Yeah. Most witches were hanged. Mm. Or I say witches, people found guilty of witchcraft. And actually, there are only a few documented cases of people being burned at the stake in this country for witchcraft crimes. Yeah. Two of these are actually local to East Anglia. Margaret Reed of Kings Lynn in 1590 and Mary Lakeland or Mother Lakeland the Ipswich Witch. In <laughs> I was saying that after a few. <laughs> Mother Lakeland the Ipswich Witch. Can't do it. And Mary Lakeland was burned in 1645. Mm -hmm. But in both cases, these women, although being found guilty of witchcraft, the reason that they were burned at the stake is because they were found guilty of murdering their husbands ah, okay. through witchcraft. Right. And this, as we know, is the crime of petty treason. 
So it was almost, it was like an add-on crime, basically. So sure, they used the witchcraft, but... The thing that they were genuinely being prosecuted for was... Was killing the their husbands, yeah. and that is considered that petty treason. Yeah. It makes sense to you. Yeah. <laughs> and petty treason was punishable by being burned alive at the stake for uh, okay. a number of years. That was seen as like a more heinous crime, basically, than just witchcraft. Yeah. So Anne Hughes was not burned at the stake. And... More importantly still, Willow Winsham points out that from what she can tell of the records of the time, that Anne Hughes was not even convicted. (laughs) She was tried, sure. She was tried for these crimes, but she was acquitted. The records of Great Lee's Parish show in 1669, a widow named Anne Hughes was buried in the churchyard. Oh, very civil. So she just probably just led a normal, you know, she was acquitted of witchcraft. So whose bones are under the stone? Whose bones are under the stone? Not Anne. No. Could it be a different woman? Well, I did scoff slightly when you suggested that there might be another spirit that was to blame for all of this, but... Well, Winsham puts forward a different contender. Okay. Elizabeth Brooke, right. also of Great Lees, yep. was brought before the Chelmsford Assizes in the 1580s. Elizabeth was accused of murdering a Margaret Cleveland via witchcraft, yep. as well as bewitching various horses, cows hogs and other livestock belonging to four other villagers, all the animals perished. Elizabeth, unlike Anne, could not escape the accusations and she confessed to some of the animal bewitchings, was found guilty and sentenced to be hanged. She wasn't burned. No. There is, however, no evidence that she was buried at a crossroads or that a boulder was placed there to keep her spirit trapped. But could the stories of Anne and Elizabeth have been been squashed together? At some point in time, this big boulder was called the Witch's Stone and so grew up the tale of the Witch of Scrapfaggot Green. Well, I mean, that sounds exactly like the kind of way it might have happened. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, I don't want to be a debunker, but... No, you're providing people with, you know, the information and allowing them to reach their own conclusions. Yeah. So the story is usually known as the Witch of Scrapfaggot Green. Right. I think it could also be called the Ghost. Yeah. A scrap faggot green. Oh, I mean, a ghost of a witch is like double Halloween, isn't it? Uh, exactly, Chris. A ghost of a witch. <laughs> That's the worst one of all. And then, uh, yeah, all hoax. You're out of a job if it's a hoax. What's the point of even being here? <laughs> Harry Price made a business of it. <laughs> exactly. You wouldn't be drinking this fine wine if it I were wouldn't. a hoax. I wouldn't mean drinking 19 crimes. So I think that's the kind of that's the end of the story. I don't oh. know if you have any oh, it's quite any fun. thoughts on it. I suppose I'm interested to know what remnants there are in the area today. Well, we can visit the pub. Is the stone still there? There's some debate over the stone. Okay. So there's there's some several contenders. big stones. There's some contenders in the area that could be the stone. Right. And again, that seems to be a point of contention of was there a stone? Now there are some stones, which right. is the stone. None so, of them seem quite big enough to be uh, put on top of the I've seen a couple of pictures of possible stones, and they're not massive, I'll be honest. Right. I've seen bigger stones, yeah. but then if the bulldozers moved one. You think it might have splintered into small pieces? I like to think of the villagers just thinking... Cooking it up, basically. Well, and I kind of like the idea that all these reporters were coming in from, you know, London, fancy yeah. London. And then uh, the kind of, there's almost like a contagion, where it's, okay, yeah. it might have started as a bit of a kind of tall tale, but you start to believe it and you well, start to be able to attribute other factors. Or I, I like the idea that the, the kind of the reporters were coming in from London and Time magazine 
thinking, oh, these idiots. These, these country these yokels. These country bumpkins thinking that there's ghosts and witches in their town and, and sort of having a laugh at the villagers. But actually the villagers are the ones yeah. having a laugh at everyone else's oh, expense, I, I like basically. to imagine the uh, villagers setting up a kind of set of uh, intricate traps and, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, They're jigsawing staging. the reporters. I mean, no, no, maybe, not, maybe not full <laughs> jigsawing, but, uh, you know, just bits of string <laughs> say, for, for jangling things in the, in the hotel rooms. They're like rooms Alfred and... Sykes, landlord. They're like, Alfred, look. We're not doing a full jigsawing. We just want a few broken wardrobes. We yeah. want a couple of smashed light bulbs. Nobody's Maybe being they... made to choose between their own limbs <laughs> and their life. <laughs> Maybe they step on a nail. Worst case scenario. <laughs> Let's not full jigsaw them. <laughs> anyway, I yeah. I think ultimately it's never, not never full jigsaw. Never go full jigsaw. <laughs> that's the listen, people. That's the lesson this Halloween. Never if go full thing jigsaw. We've from today's proceedings. Never go full jigsaw. I think we'll end it there then <laughs> thank you everyone for listening we as i said at the beginning we'll have hopefully our live episode ready for you soon we are of course approaching the winter months so we need some nice tales as the darkness grows in and the days grow short so i will be back with some good stories for you in the future thank you chris for joining no thank you and thanks all for listening and we'll see you next time